0: And welcome back to another episode. Thank you for joining. Uh, thank you for supporting. On this episode, I am very proud and honored to bring you Mr. Gary Wayne. Um, if you're not familiar with his work, he has a book out called "The Genesis Six Conspiracy," where he talks all about the Nephilim of the Bible, the giants, how they came to be, and where they might be today. Um, we talk a lot about a whole bunch um, in in this episode. I, in fact. I found myself dumbfounded half the time because I turned into a listener more than I did um, an interviewer, and Gary kept the conversation going. Uh, We even touch on a little bit of CERN, Um, what else? Uh, There is just so much um, information packed into this that I think Gary is going to come back on in the future, uh, do a part two, and uh, get some more information out of him. guy's very... Very intelligent and very kind. Uh, I really enjoyed every, every minute of the, uh, the conversation that we had. Um, having said that, I will now tell you, if you want to be on the show, where you can find me, like I always do. I never let you guys hang. Uh, if you have any info you want to get out there, uh, want to be a guest, email me, My third Eye pod gmail.com or you can find me on Instagram at my third eye podcast. Hit me up there, I'll I'll message you back. And uh, I have YouTube, my third eye podcast. I uh, I do have Twitter at my third eye pod and that's pretty much it. You can find me on every major p- podcast player now, including Apple. And uh, yeah. Um also want to plug uh, Bearded 518. That's uh, all lowercase letters, bearded underscore five one eight on instagram uh if you go there and you grow a beard and like i do you want some good beard products give these guys a a dm and you know they'll they'll hook you up with some some good products you can go to their their store that they have there on instagram and soon they're going to have a web page up but when you uh when you enter promo code Scallywag, that's S-C-A-L-L-Y-W-H-E, all one word, you'll get 15% off your first order. So uh hit them up. They got a lot of beard bombs, oils, combs, you name it, they got it. So uh like I said, they're a local business out of New York and uh give them give them some love. And having said that, we'll jump right into Mr. Gary Wayne. Welcome back to another episode of My Third Eye. Today, I am honored to have Gary Wayne on, the author of the Genesis Six Conspiracy. Uh, I've been a huge fan of his work for for a few years now when I first discovered him on another podcast and listening to his interviews. So I'm going to turn this over to Gary so he can let you all know where you can get a hold of him and find his book and and everything else he has to offer. So I give you Gary Wayne.
1: Well so happy to be with you and thank you for inviting me to, to guest on your on your podcast and you know so for p- people who may not be familiar with me um, I class I classify myself as a Christian contrarian and all that means is is that I'm Christian and anything that I hear or anything that somebody says or somebody says something says I try to verify myself so that I have, a good understanding as to what i believe and hopefully guide me in a way that sort of makes some sense and so i take that contrarian perspective to to the bible and i take that to all things i read And i do a lot of research outside of the bible as well as people who have read my book uh, might attest to and so my book's called the genesis six conspiracy how secret societies and the descendants of giants plan to enslave humankind and it's uh, A book that's got 98 chapters and actually 100 if you want to count the preface and the epilogue. And it uh, goes through all sorts of things uh, from the time of Adam to the end time. And I connect the history uh, that is worldwide, uh, that is a common legacy, whether or not it's about, you know, the pantheon of gods that is out there, who uh, polytheists believe the God of the Bible is, how the giants were created... The rebellions, whether or not it's the gods or it's the angelic beings uh, in, in the biblical aspect, I connect where secret societies interconnect with uh, all of that into prehistory and the bloodlines that come down through the royals throughout history. How all of that crosses the flood, how it's affected our history, where it is today, and and uh, how that's going to affect. Uh, what is going to come about in in the end time generation that I think that we're in. And so I have a website if people are interested in what I have to say today and want to dig into my book a little bit deeper. I have it at the Genesis6conspiracy.com. That's Genesis6 with the number 6conspiracy.com. And I have a generous excerpt on that website of all 98 chapters. And so you're going to get a good feel for whether or not it's the book for you or not. But I think just the table of contents are going to grab your attention because every chapter is one of those ones that's probably going to reach out to most people and say, you know what? I want to know more about what he has to say on that and see whether or not he knows what he's talking about or not. And if you want to buy the book, you can buy a signed copy from me on the website and, or you can link over to Kindle to get the digital version, or you can link over to barnesandnoble.com or you can link over to Amazon.com and the book is available on most online bookstores. If it's not stocked in your local bookstore and you want to support your local bookstore, the book is distributed by bookmasters out of Pennsylvania. So they can order it in for you. And I always like to have people support their local bookstore. So lots of options to get a hold of uh, the book. And if You like what I'm talking about, you want to ask me a few questions, or have a couple of comments, or if I throw out a document that I have, because I make documents available for free on a lot of different topics in in the book and outside the book, just name the topic, get a hold of me through the website, and I'll send you that document, just name the topic.
0: Outstanding. I didn't realize that uh, book company was in Pennsylvania, that's where I'm out of. So that's, wow. that's pretty neat.
1: <laughs> a little bit of snow there today and yesterday, as I recall.
0: A little bit. We didn't get as much as they were, you know, predicting or whatever.
1: Uh, that's I, a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, they
0: had everybody thinking that we were going to get like 10 inches of snow. And then in the middle of yeah. the night, it was going to turn to freezing rain and everything. And we got like maybe three inches of snow and it, oh, it yeah. warmed up and just kind of rained. I mean, so yeah. it wasn't so you can too, deal with too, that too pretty, bad. Yeah.
1: Pretty easily. Yep.
0: So uh, where do you want to start? Like... I, the whole, Wherever
1: your audience you might find or think might be interested in because what, it's a big subject and it goes into a billion different directions. So, well, let's start or, at the whatever, beginning then. Sure.
0: I, I think that's, that's the best place to start with anything. So, um, the Nephilim and the giants have always intrigued me. Uh, it, and some speculate maybe that could go in. Is that what Bigfoot is? And then you have um, Native Americans. Um, talking about their redheaded giants that they used to battle and and some still say there are some over in Afghanistan and and what have you so take it away.
1: Well from a a Christian perspective the Giants begins in Genesis 6 aka the you know the name of my book and you know the prequel or the sequel is going to be Prehistory and Prophecy and you know Genesis 6 Conspiracy Part 2 so it's one of the more important verses in the bible that touches almost all other cultures around the world on all continents except for antarctica and who knows what we'll find in antarctica so it's a story of a group of people in genesis 6 1 through 4 that is in the preamble to the flood story which again is on all continents all around the world and all all cultures except for antarctica and in that preamble to the flood story, you have the, a group of people called the sons of God, who are typically known as the Watchers, whether it's in the book of Enoch or in many cultures like the Sumerians or the Egyptians or the Greeks, as a group of gods that uh, create a demigod offspring race and demigod in the ancient uh lingo and understanding was the offspring of a god and a human female and in the genesis account you have the sons of god who are the watchers and watchers show up in daniel the book of daniel chapter four four times is Beings that come from around the throne. And there are four different groups of the watchers. You have the seraphim, which are the serpent faced angels. You have the cherubim, which are the four faced ones. And we see them in like in carobs and sphinxes that are typically depicted around the world with generally just one face. Or in the Anunnaki, where you have that eagle sort of face. Eagle is one of the faces. You have the Ophanim, which are part of the angels that are within the wheels. Ophan um, is the Hebrew word for. Wheel and in the Book of Enoch, they're described as Ophanim. So we know the Book of Enoch has some Hebrew uh, direct connections for sure at that the, at the least because of so many words that go right back into Hebrew. And in Ezekiel one and ten for Christians, those are the angels in the wheels, and they have one face different that's on them on the cherubim and in that word works it's referring to the wheel of the angels as opposed to a normal wheel which is gigal as in gigal raphaim the wheel of the gods this goes back to the hebrew word ofan and i am is the male plural just as you have that in cherubim or seraphim or nephilim or gibberim and all of those different sort of kinds of words and then the archangels are the fourth kind so We have these watchers, which I think are the seraphim angels, as they would be described as watchers in Daniel 4. And and seraphim shows up in Isaiah 6, 1 through 6, that describes them as six-winged angels. And you take that back to the Hebrew word seraph, and that's a fiery serpent-faced angel, sort of an angelic dragon, so to speak. I know I'm throwing out a lot of information, but I just want to get the context out so that people understand what we're talking about. And these are the individuals that um, are angels that are going to go to human females and take wives, anyone they choose, and they do it again. We're not told whether that means again after the flood or before the flood or both, but they do it more than once, and they create the giants as they're talked about in the King James Version, which is the Hebrew word Nephil, and where Nephilim comes from is the male plural, and that's a tribe of giants as it's defined and also can mean bully and tyrant, more or less describing the sort of hubris, tyrant sort of nature to these these beings. And so when we move over, let's say, to the Greek mythology, just to sort of give one example, and we can talk about more if you want. But I think the Atlantis tradition is the best sort of parallel, because you have this this god named poseidon and there are some versions where it's hyapetus hyapetus is a parent god Poseidon is a offspring god and they're both associated with the same type of mythology and that's because the offspring gods overthrow the parent god so they sort of move up in the hierarchy and probably take the same sort of legacy because they're both sea gods but one's an offspring god an offspring god is like baal for christians son of El or uh anki and Anlil, sons of anu or osiris which is an offspring god and isis a female offspring god in egypt son of the ogdo gods and and the parent god uh ta or ra as i recall and so you have um these uh offspring gods in this case poseidon he's going to marry uh or mate with because he has other consorts and wives uh with climbing and he's going to produce 10 offspring titan hero gods uh, who are going to rule uh, the atlantean empire and these are demigods they are part god part human which is that demigod understanding and they are trying to establish world government Hmm. and the greeks are the ones who are going to stop them but it's sort of the golden age and all of the giants for the most part will go sour or go bad with their hubris and their size and their power and in the polytheist version they will start to rebel against the gods and they're the cause of the flood just as you have the nephilim as in the first part of the flood story so you get an identical story for the most part being told in polytheism through a polytheist lens versus the story that is told in genesis of uh, six one through four and so we have these hybrid human angelic creations that are going to be created and that opens the door to what you were referencing to is is what about all these other crazy beings that we see that come up in polytheist history in the same periods that are somehow connected to the Nephilim. So I'll let you back in there before I <laughs> I keep going. I can go on some pretty long rabbit holes. So I want to stay on that, track with what you're asking.
0: Hey, you're good. That's what this show is all about. So um the the thing that, that strikes me the most, well not the most, because it all strikes me equally and uh, in in the same way, but uh y- you were referring to you know the polytheistic you know the flood and the giants and then you you brought it back to you know the bible and then um my question is are the nephilim are they ever mentioned again after genesis 6 because i i have read the bible it's been many many years but i do not remember them being mentioned or talked about much after the flood or the it's a
1: very good question and um Yes and no. So uh, that sounds like I'm taking a pass, but I'm not. But I want to be accurate. So the word nephil nephilim shows up three times in the Old Testament. Once okay. in Genesis six four, and then twice in Numbers thirteen thirty three. And for people who may not be familiar with that passage, that's the embellished, evil, bad report of the terrified scouts that were part of Joshua. And Caleb, who scouted the land of Canaan, as the land of milk and honey, and they came back and reported that there were Anakim there, and there were people taller than them as well, two different types of people, and that's confirmed as two different kinds in Deuteronomy one in the book of Joshua. So we got three verses that are in perfect sort of harmony with this. What I'm going to say, and that they're described in the in in the legitimate part as anakim and they're not attached to anything else there and then there's these people that are taller but the people who are scaring the israelites the scouts that are terrified are saying that we saw um, the descendants of giants there the anak and that word giant twice goes back to the hebrew word nephilim they saw giants there which are the anakim they did not see nephilim there The the Anakim, as they're defined as other giant nations, are in Deuteronomy 2, like the Emim and the Zamzuzim and the Horim and the Avim, as some of the ones that are in Deuteronomy 2, and there's many other names for giant nations in the Old Testament as well. These ones are clearly put out there, are giants, which is not the word Nephilim. It is the word Rapha, and the male plural is Raphaim. And the Raphaim, by that name, shows up, or as as in Hebrew, and Raphaim shows up 25 times in the Old Testament. And this is another tribe of giants. They're distinct from the Nephilim. They tend to be only applied to the giants after the flood, as opposed to the Nephilim were before the flood. And what the scouts are trying to do is so totally terrify the, uh, the people of Israel and say, we look like grasshoppers in their sight. And so what it tells us about this is that the people of Israel were completely conversant with the understanding that the giants were before their flood and they were huge. Mm.
0: Now, is that where Goliath would come in?
1: um, As a Rephaim. Okay. Right. right. Rephaim. And, and so these weren't the Nephilim. They were big, but probably not as big as the, um Nephilim but they were trying to scare them and they and everybody knew what the ref, what the Nephilim were in the uh, as they're described in in the Old Testament and so these were giants nonetheless so Raphaim shows up as a people in Genesis 14 in the War of giants okay. and then as in Genesis 15, as part of the mighty 10, as opposed to the mighty seven that are in the greater extent of the covenant land talk, discussed with, with Abraham, that's going to be eventually given to all of his descendants, which will take place completely in the future time. And then there are some other people that are in there like the Kenim and the Kadmonim. And, and then you get into the mighty seven, which uh, is a different sort of rabbit hole, but they are a combination of hybrid Raphaim and humans and pure Rephaim. And so Rephaim is the word for giant in after the flood is the best way to sort of describe that. and Goliath was a brother of four other giants from Gath okay. and that word giant goes back to Repha and as, as giants, Rephaim again and he was Rephaim, uh, perhaps even Anakim because the Anakim, held on to Gath, even into the time of the Philistines. And so I think he's probably Anakin, but he could have been part of the Raphaim. And so all of these different kinds of tribes of giants are branches of the Raphaim. Goliath was described as six cubits and a span. And as Josephus measured the giants, that was a royal cubit. And Goliath probably would have been king of Gath, And what's interesting in the David and Goliath story is that David takes five smooth stones, not because he thought he was going to miss. He took five stones because the whole Philistine pentapolis of five city fortress streets were there and Mm -hmm. Gath was likely the king of Gath and David thought he might have to kill all other four kings that were there. So he was prepared to do so. And six cubits and a span measured at 21 inches would be 11 feet, three inches.
0: And that's, that's still big.
1: <laughs> that's pretty big. And even if it was a standard cubit of 18 inches, it'd be nine feet, nine inches. So still right. twice the size. And the giants were, as are described as the terrible ones that are in Ezekiel 32, Isaiah 14, and specifically as I'm going to reference to in Isaiah 25, are the strong ones that goes back to the Hebrew word as az and azaz, which is the root word for Kazazel, the chief um, leader of the watchers in in the book of Enoch that's thought to be uh, a bad and a polyon in in the abyss. It can mean strong or forces, but it can also mean uh, things in, in in some applications strong as in stout, and that's because the Rephaim and the Nephilim were thought to have somewhere somewhere close to a dimension of a height, the width ratio of two to one versus three to one of the average human. So let's say 50% wider. And so these were muscular, large, as in tall, skilled warriors, fleet of foot that weren't these, well, they weren't a sideshow freak and they weren't built like a basketball player. I'm not saying basketball players are sideshow freaks. I said, there's two different
0: (laughs) sort of descriptions
1: here. Yeah, (laughs) not not to link them. They are completely different. They're like a WWF wrestler Mm. or alignment in terms of the bulk of that size. And when we get the bed of King off, it is nine cubits and four cubits wide. Okay. So, that bed on a royal cubit, because he's a king, and Josephus measured it as 21 inches, would have been almost 16 feet long and 7 oh. feet wide. So, depending, on again, what cubit you want to use, it's going to be 12 to 15 feet tall. Wow. And the dimension is about that 2 to 1 ratio, which sort of gives you that sort of understanding that as the last of the Raphaim, he was bigger than... Um, Goliath, who was the offspring of a particular giant, Rafa, as some people like to name him. Uh, it's a possibility, or it's just generic for Raphaim. We're not quite sure, but Rafa could be the patriarch. Just as Arba, who doesn't show up in the Table of Nations, in the Table of the Nations, for people who aren't familiar with it in the Bible, are all the descendants of Noah and all the patriarchs and, that create the nations. Arba, who is the patriarch, for the Anakim giants, uh, a division of the Raphaim, his mm-hmm. name doesn't show up in the Table of Nations, and neither does Rapha. So you're not going to get Raphaim names in the Table of Nations, which I think is, and I explain in, in, in my sequel coming up, the nine tribes of the Canaanites, like the Amorites, like the uh, like the Hivites, um, you know, like the uh, um the Arodites, and all of the nine that are in there, they don't have a patriarch
0: hmm. why is that
1: and they because they become the hybrids that are be, that are being talked about in numbers thirteen thirty three the ones that are taller that live amongst the Anachy, okay. and the patriarch is a Raphaim name that I will use some unique ways to derive who that in, in a book what, whose name uh, that is as the patriarch coming out of the Raphaim hoof married females from the Canaanite, um, two sons of Sidon and Heth, and probably Canaan as well, to create these hybrids that lived in the covenant land. So the Amorites, when they're described like the the cedars of Lebanon, that's a simile in that they were taller, but they're not as tall as Goliath or not as tall as uh, King Og, because that, if you were to use that description literally a cedar was 40 to 50 feet round and Mm -hmm. 90 to 100 feet tall so again notice that two to one ratio right so it's describing sort of the proportions on that these are giant light beings as you know just as you have the giant trees that were used for the construction and one more example of just what i'm talking about by the size because gilgamesh is described as 11 cubits tall which makes him 19 feet tall just over using a royal cubit and he was the king of a rook and if it's not then he's just over 16 feet tall so he's even taller than off and he is also four cubits wide so he is seven feet wide or six feet wide on the smaller cubit so he is similarly stocky stout and wide just as the representation for that bed was, was was to for future generations to say that these giants were real and here's some dimensions that you can apply with it and then we get one more with Goliath to sort of correspond to that and the reason why I like to use Yogamesh is a he's famous b not only does he, his account show up in the Sumerian text in the Epic of Gilgamesh with those dimensions, but there's a parallel one that's in the Ugaritic text that has the same description in terms and identical height and width. What's important about that is the Ugarit was in in Sidon, in the territory of Sidon, just in, inland from the coast of the Mediterranean coast, and in the north of the of the land of the Covenant, and sort of kind of between Mount Hermon and and uh tear let's say and that is the home city of the rapi you uh which okay. is the root semitic word for raphaim mm.
0: okay, and yeah. they
1: worship baal and ashtaroth of mount hermon just as the city one of the cities of King ong was astra no, and they... that that they have Coming out of the Ugaritic Ugarit text, the account of Gilgamesh with the same dimensions, and so we have the same type of giants, the same type of giant people that are talked about in the Bible after the flood, and everything sort of perfectly consistent.
0: Now ba- Baal, he wasn't considered a very good god, was he? No, I mean, he, he was
1: a he was a tyrant, just like his yeah. father okay. uh, El. <laughs> that's that's <laughs>
0: kind of what I thought, because everything yes. you hear about. Baal and Baal worship and, and what have you. Yeah, there. the
1: Balim. They were yeah. the Mount Hermon gods after the flood. And it's and if you look at the pantheon, whether or not it's in <laughs> Canaan, it's the same pantheon that's in Greek mythology and history in Egyptian and Sumerian. They just have different vernacular names.
0: Right. Now, um, you had mentioned in the beginning of this, the Anunnaki, and mm-hmm. that's in the conspiracy world that name gets thrown around a lot, oh, and boy, does it ever! <laughs> um, and and it, depending on who you talk to, um, it could have a couple different meanings. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so w- for my listeners and for me personally, could you break down what the Anunnaki were from from your research and your take on?
1: It? Yeah, it's a, it's a very good question. So in Sumerian history and mythology you have a couple of groups of the Anunnaki okay. and you have a heavenly Anunnaki and you have an earthly Anunnaki. Both are called watchers. One is classified as a God. One is classified as a demigod and some, some names that will refer to it and it connects back to um, Anunnaki and it's a giji, and you have to break that word down. And I do in my, in my sequel uh, to give sort of a fuller meaning to the two different kinds of people Um, but they're they're talking about uh, the offspring gods the spurious gods and the uh, parent gods of the of the demigods as opposed to the parent gods of that were ruling before the offspring gods and so the Anunnaki are also called watchers just as the earthly Anunnaki also call themselves watchers. And so you're going to see depictions of the Anunnaki, one with an eagle head,
0: Mm -hmm. uh,
1: which is typically understood in um, the mythology as one of the kinds of the gods. And as I mentioned earlier, one of the faces that they would appear in that sort of being as a cherubim with the eagle face. Um, And just as the cherubim are also depicted in polytheism as horses and or unicorns Mm. um, that pull the chariot for gods like Zeus and Apollo. Uh, And just as you have the cherubim pulling the chariot of God, as it's described in the vision in Ezekiel 1 and Ezekiel 10, there's just an allegory for the same kind of name. And so you have Anunnaki, who are people like Gilgamesh, to link it back to being giants, and then you have the gods. So two different kinds. That is consistent with Greek mythology, where you have the Titans of the Earth and the Titans of Heaven. The Titans of Heaven are typically gods and offspring and parent gods. But Atlas, who is one of the offspring of Poseidon and Clymene, is a demigod who is called a hero. And a type,
0: mm.
1: right? So you have heroes that are giants, like Hercules and Theseus and Perseus and Atlas and all of the other nine brothers of uh, of Atlas, who are all giants. And so, biblically, again, we get kind of something similar to that. So that people can sort of understand that there's something that's going on that is told consistently, but again, through different lenses depending on your religion, right? Polytheism mm-hmm. and vernacular aspects of that and and monotheism and the same for that and so the word nephil uh, the the word for nephilim the singular format is rooted in nephal Mm -hmm. n-a-p-h-a-l as it's transliterated Mm -hmm. into english and so that would be the nephilim as in plural and it means the it means fallen and you put uh, I am, which also is translated in plural as ones, just as the gibberim are the mighty ones, just as the seraphim are the serpent-faced ones, just as the cherubim are the four-faced ones. Um, on and on and on, you get that sort of meaning, just as the nephilim are the giant ones, right? And the nephilim are also the giant ones. Um, these are the fallen ones who are the sons of God. And they are the heavenly ones as well. Shama, which is the one of the r- words along with a shem, and they're equally defined renowned in the when it says the giants in the King James Version, who are the mighty ones and renowned of old. Renown goes back to Shem and Shama. And, and they both mean famous, and with Shema, it can mean also infamous and Shema is the singular form of heaven, and the I am is the plural format, so these are the ones of the heavenly ones who are also infamous, you get a larger meaning to it, who are the offspring of the Nephilim, and so a lot of people will say that the Nephilim, there weren't Nephilim, there weren't giants, there were only Nephilim, but they're not quite using the words correctly there as it comes out of Hebrew, just because Nephilim is rooted in naphalene, it gives you a larger meaning, but it's not the full meaning on the root word. It has its own individual meaning because they created a word for it. Okay.
0: That makes sense. <clears throat> That's like with a lot of language, actually. You know what I mean? Yeah. A lot of, yeah, a lot of it's, stuff quite, gets lost it's quite consistent.
1: Well, and and when you're trying to figure out what's going on with the Raphae, you have a root word that's 7497 for rafa which is uh, rooted into 7495 which means doctor or physician or healer Mm -hmm. and it's also thought that the nephilim could heal themselves and the raphaim could to a certain degree and that's why you had to strike them with such a blow at the neck to kill the brain otherwise it could self-heal and either it could do that through self-healing or through the sarcophagus That's all speculation, but just the understanding that that's how you had to kill them, um, just as Goliath was killed and uh, just as Sarah was killed. um, You have that those examples in the Bible that you get this, this sudden blow so that they can't repair themselves. And also, 7496, Rapha, they're all spelled the same way. Just different words for different meanings and applications will mean a ghost. It will mean okay. a spirit. It will mean a, a shea. Uh, all, all meanings that are these sort of demonic kind of beings. And that's where you get that connection to the spirits, the evil spirits that Enoch talks about that are the bodiless spirits of the Nephilim before the flood, and bodiless spirits of the Raphaim after the flood, because their bodies weren't immortal, but their spirits were. And they weren't permitted to sleep, and they weren't permitted to go into heaven, mm. whereas humans, we sleep until the resurrection.
0: right. so all these so I think pop- I went down a
1: rabbit hole rabbit yeah. rail, and changed the topic. Sorry about no <laughs> you' no, you're good
0: because it got me thinking like with 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 all these like shows like ghost adventures and and stuff like that that are out there, and you know there's yeah. tons. I'm just picking up. It just came off the top of my head. But uh, yeah. do you think these some of these spirits could be these beings still left over wandering you yes. know, the, the earth?
1: Yes. And we get that you can sort of triangulate that from a, a number of different um, points. And what we do know is, is this, is that Jesus dealt with double evil spirits that are demonic right and these devil spirits goes back to the greek word daemon, just as you get these shades that are, that'll go back into hebrew as daemon as well and whereas devil as it's applied to a fallen angel like satan that goes back to diablos, it's a okay. different word Right. for a different type of spiritual being right so angels are spiritual beings that can take a physical form in the physical world the demons are whom as the devil is defined as as the ablos the prince and leader of the demons who follow his command just as the fallen angels do they're just lower on the on the angelic hierarchy of fallen ones of the nephilim of the shemaim so you have jesus dealing with these demonic spirits who no longer have a body and they need a place of rest and they're like in dry places so they're thirsty they need the only way they can physically interact with a body is is to possess it which is not a symbiotic relationship you've got two spirits in one oikitarian and one dwelling place for a spirit Oikitarian comes from the greek word habitation and house in heaven yes as used in Uh, Jude 1, 6, where the angels left, they left their habitation, their dwelling place, their oikitarian, and to physically interact in the world, they have to create a physical body, a soul and a spirit, a soul and a body for their spirit to be that dwelling place to interact, which is how they're able to mate with human females and pass on that DNA to create physical demigods in the physical world from a spiritual being, because they have that ability to do that. And so the demons need this oiketarian. They either need one created for them, which may happen in the end time, or they have to have a body. Now, we also know about the the demons that not all of them roam the earth. Okay. Some of them are actually in the abyss. They are in the sides of the abyss. And they're depicted in Ezekiel 32 as speaking to Pharaoh, who would be a Raphaim, because they were the ones that were slain and did terrible things to humankind while they were in the physical world. And so the worst of the demon spirits, the worst of the Raphaim, the worst of the Nephilim, are locked in cells along the side of the abyss. And inside the abyss is where the fallen angels who procreated the giants and violated the laws of creation and did crimes against humanity. So the worst of them are in the abyss. Not all fallen angels are, just the worst of them and the the impassioned ones are in there as well. And so what this tells us is, is that there are, you know, two different groups of these demons that will all be ultimately dealt with at the same time. And we also get coming out of polytheism and their rituals reincarnation rituals that's only taught in terms of how you guide your way through the underworld so you don't have to go to the abyss Mm. and that you can probably go back and forth between the portals as they like to talk about between the underworld and the physical world but as a spirit they're taught this knowledge as being part of adepts and royal bloodlines of the occult and it's not there for humans because human spirits they go to sleep until their particular resurrection and there's a series of resurrections Just to be clear on that, including the one for the second death, right? So there's different kinds of resurrections. And so we can triangulate then that these are the spirits of the fallen angels. I have a great document and I'll walk through everything on this biblically and also link it back right at the end to why Enoch talks about these evil spirits as being the spirits of, of the giants. So we can make a biblical case for that. And um, it all makes sort of perfect sense when you start pulling it together, but you have to understand that Oikotarian aspect. And I also have a great document that really sort of helps people out on this. If, uh, and it's, it's called Soul, Body, and Spirit, where I talk about the, the three aspects and how the Oikotarian is an important dynamic, because even in polytheism, you have fallen angels that are entering into beings to give them more power. That's the avatar, avatara um, doctrine that is really out there and prevalent today, just as Buddha was in incarnate, had an incarnation of, of Vishnu. So Buddha would be the yeah. avatar, Vishnu would be the avatar. We get that biblically as well, with Satan entering into Judas to provide him the courage to go forward with betraying jesus so we know biblically that that can happen as well and it's something to keep in mind as we look into are we into the end time the fig tree generation and how polytheism is talking about incarnations in terms of an incarnated christ consciousness concept so we, we need to understand that both whether or not you're Christian or you're polytheist, you should understand where all of this comes
0: from. Right. And do you think, and this is just like a side, side little question, but you, you have all these elites and supposedly doing, you know, blood sacrifices and, and rituals and, and what have you, are, are they trying to summon these spirits or the, the, the evil of the evil to gain more power and you know to usher in maybe some of this end of world days
1: there's a lot of things that go on in their rituals so they're not sort of single directional but they will do in their rituals blood drinking right and this was a typical sin of the giants and they they drank blood for two reasons one was is to try and get that immortality back that was taken away from them in Genesis 6-3 where all life is limited to 120 years in terms of men and hybrids. Um, and so they want to be able to live longer like the original that formed it. And so they're looking for longer life and increased cognitive abilities. Mm. So it's been part of their rituals all the way through that goes back down to their bloodline ancestors as part of the mystical religions mostly reserved for the adept level and the royal masonic uh, bloodlines and you have them doing rituals that are trying to communicate not only with um, demons but with fallen angels they want to communicate with their gods they also uh, want to communicate with the demigods that are still helping them okay. they bodiless spirits the demons right and so and in that case when they're communicating they're mostly communicating with the demons they're having the strings pulled by the fallen angels but yeah for them they're not thinking they need to be careful but they ought to be as well because you're you're opening the door to a demon coming in and but a lot of the polytheist adepts want that like the shamans and so and the magicians and the and you know the 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 priests that are adepts and things like that because they want the power that the demon could bring in them. But you've got now two spirits in one body, and I think a lot of times it can be symbiotic because they invited them in. That's what they want. But you never get control of that body back, right? So right. we don't know how much suppression has gone back, and because you physically surrendered to them. Have you surrendered your ability to even push back? I mean, we don't know. Um, But the polytheists probably know. So you you want to be really, really careful with that. And to get to your third point is that yes, they want to bring on the end time sooner than later, and any time that is what is ordained by the God of the Bible, so that they can sort of prove them wrong and prove that rebellion is good, but they want to show down with God because they have been deceived and all of their followers have been deceived by the fallen angels that they can defeat God or at least win a realm through the fight on their own away from God just as Satan did or tried to do in the original angelic rebellion where he rebelled and deceived all of these other angels and in Isaiah 14 it says that he wanted to be like God to have his own uh, throne in heaven and to be like god he he knew all along that god was completely omnipotent and omnipresent and alpha omega he couldn't defeat him right but he was hoping to win his own realm and that's what they are deceiving the followers into because they want to have their own realm so if you see movies like dr strange you have god to uh depicted as this, this dark being of the universe. And this earth is this one holdout against this tyrant. And they want to win that as a realm on their own, away from the oversight and the rules of this evil god uh, of the universe right that's Mm -hmm. the allegory that 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 they're that they're showing through there and of course they have all of these different polytheist beings and different magics and stuff like that That all goes along with the occult and polytheism so um, pretty pretty straightforward kind of allegory as to what they're what they're talking about there so yes they want to bring that on and the people that follow this they've actually believed that they can achieve it Mm. and what I like to tell people is that it doesn't matter whether or not I believe what they think. It's what they believe and what they're doing with that belief that's important. And exactly. so they will try and bring about world government and this universal religion and to have this harmonic convergence so that they can bring back that physical aspect, as they would call it, vibrating or evolving into godhood in the physical world.
0: Do You think that's uh, kind of some of what CERN's doing as well
1: it certainly is part of it because Because, uh, they they they
0: they, they came out and you know we we get the the term the god particle but it was originally named the the non-god particle that they were looking for and now there's talks um that they they reach down into the these different realms looking for for entities and spirits to bring back
1: yeah, I think there's, there's two things that they're trying to do. One is the ladder uh, where they want to um, get into another dimension and that's why you need quantum computing and they need to search in multiple dimensions and multiple directions because quantum computing unless the technology has changed uh is sort of like a single bullet right in a Mm -hmm. single search so they need ai to search in multiple dimensions multiple places all at the same time and they're looking for the abyss number one so -hmm. that they can get their gods and their imprisoned demigods out of the abyss before the uh, determined time just before the midpoint of the last seven years that's talked about in revelation nine the second thing they're looking for and i'll give you the name of it um, and it has to do with the polytheist belief and understanding that comes out of the Vedas and specifically the Upanishads of Hindu religion, which is why you have Shiva that's sort of mixed in here as the destroyer god, which is Azazel, yep. Abaddon, Apollyon.
0: And they do an actual worship dance. Shiva. yes sir
1: yeah and that's who the king of the abyss is so they, they want to get that thought out and they are searching for a specific particle and this particle that they're searching for is invisible but what it has the ability to do um, oh and the reason why you need to understand the up and shots because it teaches all teaches you all about this particle and it teaches you about quantum mechanics and that's what the pioneer scientists said about about understanding quantum mechanics you have to understand the up and chats first because it gives you that basis for it so just so you know that i'm, I'm not pulling all the stuff out of my hat um, there's facts behind everything that i say when i'm speculating I, i'll tell you so this is what they're saying now this particle what it does is it merges with a particle that you could measure I was going to say C, but more accurate turn is because at the subatomic level, it's at a level where uh, you could identify it through science. Okay. And it has the ability through quantum entanglement to broadcast what it has throughout the complete physical universe instantaneously all of the time. And this particle is the knowledge particle.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's, the, it, it's the knowledge of the complete physical world that is being transmitted through quantum entanglement. And they call that the Atma particle, A-T-M-A, and also spelled A-T-M-A-N, Atman. And you can Google it, it'll come up. Um, And that's the particle that they're searching for because to provide immortality in the physical world, and they can't provide immortality in heaven and in realms that aren't permitted. They can probably do it in the underworld, at least until they're overthrown. Because you have gods of the underworld, uh, which is likely in another dimension as well. Um, in the which is the area that also holds the abyss. So maybe in the earth, but it's in the earth in another dimension. So what 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 they're trying to do is create immortality in the physical world, and that means uh, are being a God as being immortal, but you also have to have access to infinite, infinite knowledge. So if you think about Satan in the garden of Eden, you had Eve and Adam who had immortality because they had access to the tree of life. And the knowledge that they were taught, they were taught a lot of knowledge from God to run this massive agricultural complex of ranching orchards and uh, crops and, all these different animals that were going on there and there was only two of them so they would have been taught a lot of knowledge but the fruit coming from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was the application of how you could use the knowledge of good and evil which is the tree of gnosis as the gnostics like to call it and so satan told them that they could be like god knowing all things if they ate from this what they didn't realize is what Because they were forbidden, the consequence was is you can't have access to the tree of life anymore. So they're ostracized. So they didn't get that. But that's what's being promised for the end time, for Mm -hmm. the followers, to bring back that immortality that the original Nephilim did until that was taken away in Genesis 6 3 in the physical world, and that knowledge that the gods have. So if they can get access through that and then attach it into through you know some sort of advanced implant right that uh, will provide the knowledge and provide ongoing medication vaccines whatever uh, you need to have that immortal life have backup parts have backup bodies even as clone bodies they can provide immortality in the physical world and the knowledge to go with it
0: that's to me that's just crazy i mean you're messing with something that I'm just an average guy and I know I shouldn't mess with something like that. I mean, you're going up against, you know, whether you believe in God or gods like you said, you know, you're going up against a creator who perfectly designed everything for a reason and you're trying to play God now and yep. the thing you don't is, have the
1: wi- you don't have the wisdom
0: to no. control
1: it. Now, what they'll say as a counter argument to that is is that Polytheism as a mystery religion is a knowledge cult. And it teaches you the knowledge that you need to become a God. And that is reason over faith, as you might hear the term, that if you have the discipline and the reason you can manage that knowledge, but we've never seen it. In the age of humankind, we've not seen it. And in the age that we've been dominated over by the descendants of the giants, we only know that knowledge can be used for good or evil. And eventually they always use it for evil. And it's just like, you know, creating AI. It's like, oh well, yeah, we're going to do it anyways, even though everybody knows how that ends.
0: Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's There's... seen the Terminator.
1: <laughs> yeah. So they may have reason, but they don't have the wisdom. And that's what's missing.
0: But they, they act like they do. That's, they act that's like they the, do. That's yes. the scary part. Because... That's the
1: hubris. That's the narcissism. Mm-hmm. That's the danger,
0: and now I'm going to take it back just a little bit on the watchers coming down and mating with the women. I was always under the belief that now the watchers were were angels. Am I correct?
1: Yeah, and, and they are. Um, okay. I mean, they're, they're, they're called the sons of God in the Genesis 6 version, but we do get watchers in the Bible. They are called watchers in the book of Enoch as well, just as they are in polytheism. And so you get words like dracon, um, mm-hmm. which is the root word for dragon coming out of Greek mythology. It means watcher and to watch. And like the Netheru gods and the Urshu gods were watchers. The Sumerian gods were called watchers. And you have... Um, watchers that we talked about before the ones who are awake all of the time and and are always watching that surround the throne so that's sort of the links there for that
0: so my question i was always taught that angels were neither male or female so how could they how could they mate how did they mate with with human females then that, another that's...
1: very another very very good question and uh, people will also refer to Mark uh, mostly but never to the Luke passage that's equivalent mm-hmm. that gives you more information that and the basic other part of the argument from the New Testament passages are that um, there's no marriage in heaven and they don't need it because they're immortal they don't need to reproduce humans are but There will be, we will be like angels after we're resurrected,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? So we have to be careful that just because sex is not permitted in the physical world as part of the laws against creation or the laws of creation that you can't violate doesn't mean it didn't happen. Now, true. Right? So it just doesn't happen in heaven, and it won't happen in heaven going forward. So angels are spirit beings. And they have to take a physical form when they enter the physical world, right? Okay. Yep. If they're going to interact and if they're going to produce, and we know they can do that because we have lots of examples of angels in the body. And the most you know clear examples are in the time of Abraham and Sodom.
0: Mm-hmm. And you I'm just have to say Sodom and Gomorrah.
1: Yeah. And they have taken a male gender. Mm-hmm. But if they can take a male gender, why can't they take a female gender?
0: True. Right? If they're going to create
1: their own soul and body in the physical world, they can choose any gender they want. So the gods, when you see female gods in the pantheon, and they want to be in a physical form they can choose any form they want they have that changeling capability and some of them to create this pantheon of dualism that's partially male and female and the mother goddess you're going to see that come back for the end time religion that whole mother goddess aspect as the queen of heaven because it's associated with the babylon religion and the daughters of the babylon religions we're going to see some of that again in the end time not only in the worship and then when the fallen angels actually sort of come back um Mm -hmm and walk among us so we know that they can take a physical form and then in the sodom story one wonders whether or not they are wanting to have sex with these angels that they know are humans whereas at first and in, in the abraham verses before they didn't recognize them as angels but they ate with them they touched them they, they did everything that you know a human would do and then they were understood also as as, as uh humans afterwards they want to have sex with these two angels hmm. And one can take that in two ways. One as being, you know, sodomy Mm -hmm. or maybe they wanted to have sex with them as with some of their daughters.
0: Right.
1: Because angels took a male form to produce offspring. Maybe they wanted them, the ones that were asking wanted to have sex with them and have them change their form to a female body. So Mm. you get, a few different options there. So when you're getting this account in Second Peter and in Jude one six through ten again, you get it, this this disgusting conversation that they say is going on um, with strange flesh that they want to have sex with strange flesh, which is as you take that back to Greek means you know strange is indifferent, but also as in a different species or race, and uh. so so you get this whole sort of context. So they understood this notion that angels i think could reproduce and this is in the city uh, pentapolis of canaanites that uh, are led by raphaim kings at that time as they're talked about in genesis 14 and the war of giants and the names names are there for people and that they worship baal and balin just as the raphaim at Ugarit do fertility rituals asking for ashtaroth and baal to create more rapi because they're having problems reproducing mm. right and so this is the religion of sodom so they're very much familiar with the balin creating the rapi as they believed, and as what uh, i make the case for in the bible that the that the balin created the raphaim after the flood they want they know this can happen, and this is a after you know a period after the flood, and they're wanting to create new demigods, hmm. or they just want to have you, you know gay sex with uh, fallen angels. I mean, you can take it either way. But right. if you know that they're aware of this capability to reproduce, then you have to be open to well, maybe something else was going on there too, and Sodom. Is thought of in polytheism with the Gnostics as being the location for where giants were first recreated right after the flood. Gomorrah was the location where the giants were created before the flood. The oath was taken on Mount Hermon, but the first creations were done there both before and after the flood.
0: I wish I I wish I could have had someone in like you in my life long time ago, like. Just discussing this because you bring a, a an awesome take that that hardly anybody in the Christian uh, religion, you know, you take any pastor, they would steer completely clear of even remotely going down any of these paths. Like I, I would have never thought, oh like, because that's why I asked the question. And you're like, well, they can take any form, you know, and then you're like, well, it doesn't necessarily mean it was gay sex yeah. and, and sodomy. So- and so the, you're right because it doesn't it doesn't spit it out in yeah, great detail. They leave it there.
1: Yeah, yeah. And the English language doesn't present the full meaning as it's presented in the translation to what the Hebrew words tell you, right? The Greek words, and it gives you. It's that's one of the reasons why I like to take it right back to Hebrew and the Greek, so I get a fuller meaning. Now we have to be careful because you just can't pick a preconceived conclusion meaning for the 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 translation has to fit within the narrative and it can't be contradicted with things throughout the bible so you have to select the the right meaning but so many times a word comes up and you you dig into it and it just means so much more but the issue with the ministers and the priests that are out there is is that the gnostics control the seminary schools Mm. and they're taught not to teach prehistory and prophecy why though and they're never taught about this well because the gnostics want the christians to not understand because Mm -hmm. to understand end-time prophecy you have to understand prehistory you have to understand the whole context and a lot of the meanings for the allegories and prophecy comes out of prehistory and israelite history so you have to understand that in the context of the angelic rebellion because our creation is the resolution to the angelic rebellion the giants were created To ensure that we weren't the resolution to the Angelic Rebellion, right? Right. So they don't want the ministers teaching it. And it does come with risk for them to teach it, even if they would, because if if you teach it incorrectly, I mean, you can lead people down, you know, the garden uh, path on it and perhaps in, in different directions as a lot of people as we see a lot of people do with lots of aspects of the bible so i like to be consistent uh, one of the things that in in my approach to research and particularly with prophecy is, is i don't leave out inconvenient passages right it has to fit it all has to fit uh, particularly when you're leading into prophecy but if we don't understand prehistory we will not be prepared for the end time. And that's the ultimate goal so that they can bring them on the ultimate delusions and deceptions to accept the antichrist.
0: Hmm. And like you were, like you were just saying, that, that makes so much sense because Christians and even myself was like, was like this. And, you know, you have one basic view of the Bible and that's, that's how it is. And they don't, you know you can interpret different verses but it's always interpreted pretty much the same way and if you yep. step out of line and yep. really start digging and and you know questioning it you know you get you get turned away pretty darn quick
1: yeah and and that in in itself is a doctrine of polytheism and we see that in the sciences that are controlled by polytheism that worship and honor their pantheon of gods and try and lead people away from God and try and degrade God and not give God credit for anything. It was the same from the creation of the seven sacred sciences from the beginning by Cain and Enoch as it comes down to create the mystical religions. And so that whole preconceived, you will believe it this way and we will not consider anything else is a polytheist doctrine and so but people just don't sort of recognize that and and they'll try and explain everything away so they'll say well they're not really giants that's just an embellishment i'm going Mm -hmm. and my my comment will be well so you don't think the Bible's accurate well that's an allegory well no i know what a metaphor is i know what an allegory is i know what a simile is and when it says there were giants and the definition in hebrew means this then they'll go they'll say well something like and i've heard this a lot well giant is a word that is taken out of its initial sort of meaning that it comes from the root word gigantes which means earthborn well that's half the truth again which is always why i push back and i want to verify things myself so gigantes were a group of gods that were created by the parent gods, Uranus and Kronos. Uh, Sorry, Uranus and Gaia. in some versions, Kronos is the male. And they created three gigantes, which were these hundred-handed giant monster gods and, I think, a hundred heads. And one (laughs) of them was named Gyges. And gigantes means earthborn, just as Gaia is the mother earth goddess, right? Right. And and born into the physical world is earthborn from the mother earth god as the female. And so that's where gigantes comes from. And that's the root word for giant that they say. Well, problem with that is that um, you have, it may, there may be a transliteration issue down Through where the G is pronounced hard in Gigantes, but typically you know, giant doesn't have that G in there. But the word Gyges, which is one of the names of the Gigantes, Mm -hmm. is uh follows with a um an E. So a G in Greek that is followed with an E or an I goes to a Y sound.
0: Mm, So it
1: should be pronounced guides. Right. And so that's why I wonder there's a transliteration issue with the translation of gigantic down the road, which would be giant. then, Right. But that's still not my basis. So Gyges is the root word for uh, gigantic and for giant. And it goes Gyges, giant, gigantic as the etymology goes. So they don't tell you both sides. And Gyges were giant monsters and you even get a king named gyges that is a hero king in about 600 bc that is a giant and so giant understood in the greek understanding of gyges was a giant as we would understand it like this monstrously big something that's abnormally bigger than anything else in it's related sort of being right and that's mm-hmm. where we get the giant from so i mean it's absolutely astonishing some of the rationale that will come up i respect everybody's belief you can believe what you want but we can agree to disagree and not be enemies and not persecute people who disagree with you right and so when i when i when i say there's like 25 times the word uh for giant as in Rapha shows up in the bible people are astonished on that well how can that be because they were told it doesn't show up and then you get to three other times for nephilim right mm-hmm. and then you get all of these other names and you know there's just so many of them like there is the Zuzim, and there's the Amalekim. And there's the Zamzuzim, and there's the Emim, and there's the Horim, and there's the Cherithim, and on and on and on. There's the Kenim, the Cadmonim, the Perazim. There's just all of these names that don't come out of the table of nations that magically appear in the Bible. And they're all for giant tribes because they're divisions of the Raphaim.
0: And... and- what also gets me is they they ignore um the arch archeolog arc the digging up of <laughs> i struggle <laughs> with that word the digging up of these oh. these bones um of giant beings they're they're skeletons you know and yeah. and proof that giant beings did walk the earth at one time and possibly i believe they still do in in some form um I mean you have uh I don't are you familiar with uh LA Marzuli and mm-hmm. the Ke- kendahar giant you know that mm-hmm. story blows my mind and uh, to to me those guys that that gave him the story you know they they have no reason to lie it they have everything to lose of their military career and well, you know well, I was another another ep- example of a giant walking the earth
1: yeah I will say this about that riveting account, whether or not it's real or not.
0: Right.
1: Uh, is that the details of the giant were so bang on to what I have researched that they either saw the giant or given the details of the giant or had knowledge of ancient giants in a way that almost nobody has i mean and i i put the, the description of them in, in in my first book and you know this th- this monster was able to kill many people and was not easily brought down no.
0: you know,
1: and and was fleet of foot and was quick and was batting projectiles out of the air as it was being shot at them this is this is a, an accurate description of the giant so imagine Something that is, uh, you know, uh, you know, fifteen hundred to three thousand pounds,
0: right. right?
1: Depending on the size, right? Imagine something that might have feet that might be size thirty or forty, sure. and they're described in the Bible as having, uh, as being called not just mighty as in gibberine, but mighty as in atsum and which is strong and mighty, but as it has to do with a paw which is a really weird word but a paw that had the ability to crush bones in its hands Ooh. there are the bone crushers okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah these were powerful fleet of foot the perfect warrior and they had this smell to them. They had red hair or blonde hair. They had hazel eyes or blue eyes. They were very pale skin. They had a lot of hair. And you get a terrific example of a comparative with the horine. And understand there's horites, which are the hybrids, and the horine, which are the original uh, refaim. And they, and hor, horine goes back in a series of words that are all sort of connected that will mean white and white bread. And they're described as having red hair. I mean, these are the same types of beings. um, And they're also described as the shining ones. I don't recall in that Afghanistan account that this one was a shining being. They typically were thought of as having large wraparound eyes that glowed. Like if people have seen the Stargate series where the Ga'uld have these shiny eyes that light up a room. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what the giants were were like and that they had these deep bellowing voices like the the gaul so i think that that description is, is is so well detailed that um it's either inside information for a tremendous hopes or they saw it mm-hmm. and i'm open to both but uh, i have no reason to uh, say that that did not happen because of the details
0: and Mentioned this in, in in the beginning as well. Um, Drawing a blank on on the tribe of Native Americans that that are famous for for battling the redheaded giant tribes um, down in uh, well, I believe it's like South Southwest America uh, in, in, down. Oh, the that. Navajo. The, or yeah. The, what was that?
1: Yeah. Well, or there's the or, there's a few. So um, certainly the, the Navajo fought the Starnaki. Mm -hmm. Um, but you also have uh, the Naholo and the Natchez and the Okata and the Chickasaw that fought the Naholo and these were white and red-haired. You also have the Hopi um, that that, uh, also take their beginnings back to this giant white snake clan that came from an island (laughs) in the Atlantic Ocean after the flood. Um, you got the Manta uh, giant uh, in Peru, giants down there. Um, you've got the Sisca uh, of uh, John Smith's area, you um, on, know, on the east coast, and so you get a lot of uh, accounts of these kinds of giants. But what people don't know with the First Nations is that pretty much all of the First Nations have accounts of these giants. Yeah, and they have accounts of the little people and the mm. Bigfoot that. Are seemingly somehow interconnected
0: now um have you uh, what's your take on on, on bigfoot w- with with your research research that you you've done do you do you think that's something that actually could exist
1: i think so um like the pyramids like the little people like the giants like the flood this account is on all continents and all cultures around the world. And it has many names like Yeti and uh, Sasquatch and many, many other names uh, around the world. Uh, we know it's uh, from the accounts. It is. It goes back into prehistory on those accounts. We know that it's an intelligent being. We know its eyes glow. We know it tries to communicate at times either through its sounds or through tapping. Uh, we know it's hairy. Uh, we know that um, it's not as large as what a Nephilim or a Raphaim would be and it's more sort of ape or bearish like berry not as a berry but as a bear um in sort of its hair and stuff like that and it lives in caves and the whoring lived in caves and were cave dwellers as well right. uh, so another relation, but I think they're a little bit different so when I look at what happens in polytheist accounts you have all of these amazing creatures that are created before the flood and seemingly again after the flood because the offspring gods rule after the flood, okay. right? Right. And so they either survive or they're recreated. You pick your choice, pick your poison just with the giants. Uh, I prefer second creation of all of these things. Um, and I think that's why the Balin and all of those offspring gods disappear as well because they violated the same pride and so does their parents. Right. and they're also in the abyss but I get like i say not all the angels are there so in these accounts as with the nephilim typically the mythology comes down that the gods mated with humans to create demigod humans it's the same account with most of the little people and or um the animal-like creatures that are created, you get a similar sort of account. So if I look at the dogmen, the dog Nephilim, as they would be in this case, you have gods like Anubis.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say that.
1: Or, or Nebaz, which is the barking god of the Avim, which is another name for one of the Raphaim nations. Um, and they worship Nebaz, which was a barking god. So you have refereeing, worshipping a dog god. And Anubis is a jackal or or, or a barking dog as well, and created dog warriors that lived in uh, Sinopolis, Dog City, in Egypt. And you get these... These references of all of these dog and these were warriors, they weren't rulers, they were more of a warrior mercenary class that comes down through history, through great historians, through religious accounts, all the way through history. You have gods like Nergal, as he comes up in the Bible, which is a lion god
0: hmm.
1: out of Sumeria, and Mahis and Bast and all of these other lion gods that all produced warriors as well as we get it in the bible the lion men of moab after the flood the uh, lion-like men of gad and Arioch, which is one of the kings of the giant kings in genesis 14 that's in the war of giants coming out of persia into the covenant land to fight those giants and arioch means lion-like because lion is ari and el is would mean the lion of god and and there's an angel in polytheism that's also named ariel yeah that a lot of people would say from a biblical perspective that would be the fallen angel that these other lion gods might be named after or gods similar of the same rank and order that were creating these beings and then you have the Anunnaki who we've talked about, the Trubum, as I, as I referenced, just as um, we have those kind of bird gods, whether a falcon or uh, the Anunnaki, they also known as the Tengu gods in Asia, uh, mm-hmm. through India, through China, through Japan. And they produced Tengu offspring as rulers and warriors, and they had this bird head. So you have this warrior class uh, and ruling class that were bird-like, just as you have the Zabelba out of the Popol Vuh, which have an owl face and were demigods of the Kishamaya. And they had one specific one that was the Kamazots. C-A-M-A-Z-O-T-Z, if you Google that, you're going to get like Batman's suit, because that was the house of the bat (laughs) demigods in the Popol Vuh. And so what I'm saying is, is that these beings tend to be mostly created through sexual relationships with creatures on the earth. And so these could be that type of recreation with Bigfoot. And we also get open to the possibility you could get a mix of human, animal, and God in a mix. Because, in and and, and this is just coming out of polytheism, and I got nothing scriptural to base this on. But when we talked about Gilgamesh, out of the Epic of Gilgamesh, he is depicted as two-thirds God and one-third human. So they're splitting that into three, mm. and just as Utnapishtim, who's the uh, giant of the ark that that survives the flood in the in the Epic of Gilgamesh version, and Enki do is also classified the same way. And the whole family of Utnapishtim is classified the same way. So there might be ability where they have the ability to bring in another type of animal, whether or not it is with DNA manipulation as well to make it a bit human-like a bit god-like and still a lot like its original sort of nature so you get these ape-like gods in the pantheons uh, in india and so that would be perhaps how that came about or it was strictly through dna manipulation that the fallen angels had and or the society had because you get the chimera that comes out of greek mythology which is that dna manipulation to create these beings with many types of creatures involved on them just as the chimera was described like that with many different animal features that was intelligent and nephilim like but just with you know multiple animals on it and as king hababa is described as in the epic of gilgamesh who is the king of the cedar forest who anki And Acedden is going to slay and then has to be killed for violating. And he was, his commission was to do terrible things to humankind, just as the Bible calls these individuals, these creatures, the terrible ones.
0: Mm. Wow. Have you ever looked into the Fox saga by any chance?
1: Uh, The the Fox saga?
0: No, Bok. B-O-C-K? No, I've not. Um. I would be curious to to hear your take on because it, it it it's a similar creation story of um I guess Norse uh, came out of Sweden and Finland and it was an oral tra- uh, tradition uh, story passed down for thousands of years and what have you through the the Bach family and uh, you know some of the Things that are talked about in the Box Saga are also kind of, almost referenced in the Epic of Gilgamesh, the Bible, and and different things. And I don't know, like, I, I I think I think if you dove into that a little bit, I think I think I don't know, I think the way your mind works, I think that'd be that <laughs> would, that would be an awesome conversation.
1: Okay, I'll uh, have to dig into it. And yeah. it, and were they some sort of. Nephilim would, type of family or well they do talk about
0: or, they do talk about the uh the ice giants coming you know from from the the, the scandinavians and and, and what mm-hmm. have you and and you know yeah. that whole type you know like i said it's more on the the north's uh way of belief but uh yeah i mean it, i don't know I, I don't know enough about it I, I i've listened to a couple people on a couple different well, podcasts talk about it, the, but it it's fascinating word, John-
1: there were giants in Norse, Norse mythology. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were little people in Norse mythology. And they are all created in sort of the same way. It's a little bit different in terms of their version of, of the uh, fairy uh, mythos as with the Celtic, but very, very similar. Right. Um, and, and a lot of overlaps. And, and that makes sense because you're dealing with the Tuatha de Danann in both which are the giants of the fairy people. And there would be sort of depicted like in the Lord of the Rings, which is the uh, Norse fairy version as the white elves, uh, being large ones, as opposed to the elementals, which are three groups of smaller ones, and one larger one that's called the salamanders and are reptilian. Right. So you get the same traditions all over the earth. Yeah. I mean, you get different names for these giants all, all over the earth. I mean, you've got like in India, you've got the Danawa and the Daitia and the Azuras, and you've got the Myosi in, in China, and uh, you know, you got the heroes and the and, and the Anunnaki and you know, everywhere you go, they got the First Nations that all have different names for for the giants and all throughout South America. This is it would make only perfect sense right. that they would have that tradition as well. And Odin is is you know that he's the same sort of god as zeus is and, yeah, Os- yeah. and osiris is and and, uh, and anki are so
0: yeah it's 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 neat to tie all of them together and just it, it, i don't know i i sit back a lot of times you know with my job i i do drive so i i i if i'm not listening to a podcast you know i'll, I'll think of topics in my head and be like no how are all these Different religions and beliefs and everything, all almost so similar, yet yeah. so far well, think, away on different continents. Yeah. And, and this,
1: well, it doesn't make any sense that there would be identical stories, or identical pantheon, just different vernacular names if
0: mm-hmm.
1: they weren't the same and they weren't sort of interconnected. I mean, just think about the days of the week that we get. You get the Norse mythology and mm-hmm. the Roman pantheon and mythology making up the days of the week.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Like why would they
1: do that why would they do that sort of mixture like why wouldn't you at least be consistent with the roman or why wouldn't you be all greek or all egyptian but no they took yeah they, 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 they made a statement that the religions are all the same and those were the most important ones to them that they chose but you know some of those names are you know they they would literally include the greek in that simply because they're known interchangeably by the same name in the culture, whether it's uh, a Jupiter God or, right. um, you know, a, a, a Greek uh, a qu- equivalent. So. Yeah.
0: Like Friday is supposed to be after Freya, you know, yeah. and, and, and
1: which is the equivalent to Venus.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, yeah. yeah. Why, why do they, they blend, but yeah. it, it kind of ties back into, you know, the fallen ones blending yeah. their DNA with human yeah. DNA and, yeah. You know, that, and I kind of asked you about the uh, the Anunnaki. Uh, some so, people.
1: Oh, 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 and just before we move on, is is and so when you have seven days of the week, you also have seven gods of the pantheon, right? Mm-hmm. Of, right. of the major pantheon, and they're represented by the seven wandering stars. Yeah. And so that's why you get an intermix of like Monday, which is the Moon Day, and the Sunday and the Saturn Day, and each of those have a god that corresponds.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah,
1: and and they're the same just with different names in in every pantheon.
0: That's crazy. I I don't know. I love it. I I, I can talk for hours on topics like this. Or li- Thursday,
1: or, the day of Thor.
0: Yeah, Thor. <laughs> yeah, Thursday. <laughs> I forget what what day's Odin's day because he had Wednesday. Wednesday. That's right. That's kind of what I was thinking, but uh, my mind was drawn a blank. Um, do you do you think the Anunnaki now, this goes into you know they're the you know reptilian kind of ruling class that are altering human dna and you know there's that whole side of the conspiracy thing do you think the anunnaki are still around today
1: well certainly some of the anunnaki gods are around today whether or not the offspring are around today that, that's what we'll have to kind of wait and see Right. typically i mean this crosses over then into the alien mythos yeah and i do believe that the alien mythos is more than just fallen angels and sort of this the demon dem- demonic aspect um, they would have to be able to have the technology which they probably do to provide bodies for them but then why do they want humans to create clone bodies for them so there's something maybe there that's a, a little bit of this but you get all of these other creatures within the nomenclature and type of beings within the alien mythos to sort of represent that the universe is filled with all of these different kinds of beings now keep in mind fallen angels can take any shape they want so they can yeah. create a whole number of them but you also get some of these reptilian beings that are you know is is there a survivor of the of the serpent the, the cash that the fallen angel somehow saved from Losing their arms and losing their legs and losing their intelligence and losing their speech and being forced to re- survive on the ground because they were a serpentine type of being. Mm-hmm. Is some of the reptilians part of the salamanders, which is the fourth elemental? um i talked about three of them in in the first book i'll talk about the fourth one in in, in the sequel the other three of the elementals and elemental shows up in the new testament as, as well as, as well as rudiments which goes back to the same Greek word which talks about as rulers as part of that hierarchy as opposed to elements of the universe you can see those words used in two different applications and in those elementals there are three classes of little people Mm -hmm. and within those three classes you have several different kinds but the the three major groups are the identical three groups all around the world and they go back into prehistory and it's part of that Norse mythology and elves and things like that so you have good looking ones you have mischievous ones and then you have Mm -hmm. the ugly ones and in the ugly ones you get ones like dwarves Right, who makes the weapons for the gods and the and the and the Nephilim, and you get you know trolls that usually are guarding gateways and bridges and things like that. You get this uh, interesting one called gnomes, which is connected to the word in Gnosticism for knowledge Mm -hmm. and has the same sort of root, and looked after the knowledge of the ancient organizational structure both before and after the flood, and kept the genealogies and protected the technology and had the ability to fly in these spaceship-like vehicles that came through fairy dolmens, fairy portals. Check me mm-hmm. if you check the meaning of a dolmen and they're called fairy portals as well. Um, and would, and you know, all throughout our history would come through these portals and kidnap people do sexual experimentations on them, return some of them, then they would have no memory. Uh, and you could only get that through hypnosis and some traditions like that to get the information. And their descriptions in terms of their vehicles and their bodies are identical to the gray aliens. And these gnomes are actually called grays and the gray neighbors in Scotland. I mean, <laughs> I think this is part of the whole sort of, organizational structure because if you look at the the, uh, the host of heaven
0: mm-hmm.
1: the host of the Shemaim, that's the word saba uh, t-s-a-b-a is transliterated and it means an army and so you have rank and order within an army and the fallen angels counterfeit everything and so they have their own host and army right so when you look at the uh at, at what's going on with 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 the fallen angels is is that they are going to have a hierarchy of how they govern this earth. We understand that Satan is the prince and the god of this world. We understand in Psalms 82 there's a council of gods. Right. And we understand that there are 70 original nations that these gods reign over. So the council of the gods is Psalm 82 for people who are checking and the seventy nations are the seventy nations as they're counted out of the patriarchs and the and the first uh, in First Chronicles in Genesis ten for the table of nations which counts seventy nine patriarchless ones as we mentioned earlier, and you have the same number as the some number of sons born to Jacob in Israel and as numbered as the seventy sons that Adam had. Before the flood. So it's the same sort of constants. So you have this hierarchy. So you have in that hierarchy, you have a, a rank and order of fallen angels, just as Satan sits atop the council, like God. And just as God has his own assembly, another counterfeit, and the congregation is two different words that is used for the council of God than what is God's council, that's a counterfeit. And you have um, the offspring. The spurious offspring of the angels that are part of the hierarchy, with the nephilim sort of being the the with the divine right to rule on Earth, and you have the priest class of the of that offspring, and then you have the other nephilim-like beings that are underneath, and that's where the elementals fall, the little ones with salamander falls, and there's probably a few other ones that are in there that. You know, I'm not quite sure where they fit, but they're within that whole hierarchy. This is the array that they're going to show us, but disguise them as being alien so that they don't have to, you know, get down to the nitty gritty. Hey, we're the ones who rebelled against the God of the Bible.
0: <laughs> right. Man, this is fascinating. When, when, it, when do you plan on releasing your second book?
1: Hoping to have it out by uh, the summer. So nice. I'm working, I've got 51 chapters written, so it won't be quite wow. as big as the first book. Um, I think it's I, going to be around 70 chapters. Um,
0: I can't even not, write one chapter.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and the trick is I don't want it to be redundant, right. uh, but this one's more specifically for Christians uh, or people who just want to know about the angels, the fallen angels and the, uh, the giants all the information written in the bible and i'll present it in a way that adds to the information that's in the genesis 6 and uh, the first one and that one is kind of designed written for not only christians but to maybe draw people from other belief systems in to have a look closer at what's written in the bible and the consistency to what happens in prehistory and what happens in the end time now that's told all around the world but this one is going to be more specifically targeted at Christians and all about all of this information that's in the Bible that they're not going to teach in church and uh, by, you know, by the ministers for the most part, and you're going to get all the sources. Nice. So just like in the first book, I have over a hundred pages of end notes. I want people to, if they don't think I'm coming accurate with what i'm saying they can go check the source
0: right and that that's good you know it, how do you debunk something if you're if you're hey here's the truth you know, you know here's the source where it came from you know you yep. can't call me a liar so and i love that 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 you you do that with your work and that's that's what always intrigued me on on the interviews that i've always heard you on that i'm like man this this man just blows my mind every time I I listen to him talk. And now I have the honor to talk to you. And if you're willing, I'd love to do a a part two, you know, down the road sometime. And Oh, absolutely.
1: I mean, we just skim the surface on a lot of this as we touch on different topics. And, you know, I do a lot of shows that are devoted to one topic. Yeah. Just we did, we dig deep into it or, or a couple of topics or, or again you can just pick you know what however many you want we can sort of go into that but uh, it's I just find it uh, you know stimulating and fun to be able to dig into things and hopefully present things in a way that uh, is logical and that is because I mean I do speculate at times but I tend to say when I'm speculating when I am right. uh, so I can back up what I say but we're talking about topics that are they're not just out there. They are sort of extreme on the fringe, right? Yes. Even within Christianity, and so I think we we have to be able to be able to talk about it in a logical manner, in a factual manner, and not with preconceived ideas, so that um, we're not dictating what we want it to believe to bend to what's actually there. Uh, so we, you know, we want to be able to present it so that people can absorb the information, and then hopefully we'll dig a little deeper into it. And if I've done my job properly, maybe dig more deeper into the Bible because that's really what I'm trying to do and sort of help people to prepare, prepare for what's coming, because people can't imagine what it's going to be like.
0: Mm-mm. Not at all. <laughs> and I don't, I don't mean to laugh at the subject, but I laugh just because. You walk down the street, and it, it it doesn't take a genius to see how many people are just asleep at the wheel, and yeah. just walking yeah, that's, around. That's by that design. Routine. Yeah, and you know, I, I got that's kind of why I got in. You know, to to starting my podcast, and I want to learn. I I I, I want to know it all. You know what I mean? I I know I'll never achieve all knowledge because it's not humanly possible, yeah. but maybe in death I will, but having people like you on that just open your thought to interpreting the Bible a different way and a way that you, you will never be taught to, to interpret it that way and yeah. to dig into the, to the truth. And the like you said, the prehistory of, of creation and, and, and everything.
1: Yeah. I mean, the language in the Bible is there for a reason. And so, you know, when it's talking about the end time empire as being the beast kingdoms, Mm -hmm. and then you have the beasts that are in Daniel seven, we need to understand what the Bible is trying to tell us about this. Right. Right. If you want to understand Babylon, you have to understand what they're talking about in terms of Babylon and the daughters of Babylon to fully understand what Babylon is. And, then when, and so many people get so confused with what Babylon is. I mean, some people say it's a country, some people say it's New York City, some people say it's a universal religion, some people say it is um, a system. Uh, Babylon actually is kind of almost all of that, just not specifically New York City, but it's said to be a city nine times in the book of Revelations from Revelation 14 through 18. So we know it's a city and we know it's a religion. We know it has the system. We need to understand what is important about Babel and who rides it.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
1: And and how that controls the beast empires. We need we need to understand that. And you learn, you know, for example, Babel, I mean, that's the word babylon is rooted in babel and so you have two allegories that you need to understand babel is the time of nimrod Mm -hmm. where he imposes the first religion after the flood the enochian mysticism of the son of cain that was in place before the flood under an antichrist type ruler when all people of the adamites descendants of noah after the flood or under one rule with that Antichrist figure. And that is not going to be permitted to happen again until the end time. The other right. part of the Babylon allegory is, is the Babylon kingdom, which is one of the beast kingdoms. And the whole hierarchy of these beast kingdoms, just as it was before the flood, is, is you have this mystical religion, a daughter of Babylon, that is led by the beast king and michael is fighting against these beast kings not to prevent them from rising to prevent them from having one of those beast kingdoms bring about an antichrist figure Mm. and these beast kingdoms are the royal bloodlines and the royal bloodlines understand that as royal two words roy as it goes back in the etymology for king al as for a god as in el as is what angel or god goes back to in a bible you can also be il in sumerian or ilu it can be al al a la as an allah that means the same thing over multiple nations and these are the kings of god who received the divine right to rule as demigod rulers from their fallen angels and that's why they keep those genealogies and that's why they like to intermarry as much as possible and these are the ones who have reigned over humankind all throughout our history, keeping us at the bottom of the four class system and them at the top.
0: Yep. I, I'd love to have you come back on and talk about Nimrod because it wasn't his incarnation, uh, thamoose. Uh, thim, thim, uh, well reincarnation
1: there there's a lot of people that believe he he reincarnates that's for sure or tammuz Um, i'm sorry what was the last one
0: is it tammuz that he supposedly reincarnated into that was his reincarnation form uh tammuz yes yeah yeah with a z yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah and and or tammuz is a god and what happens is 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 that in the Allegories of the rituals in polytheism as the divine representatives, they become the parent god or the mother goddess. So they take on their names as as, as, as an allegory as their representatives on earth. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a demon spirit, if he you know, if he is a demon spirit, he was born of Kush. So we only know he became Gibberim, which is could mean Nephilim, but not necessarily because Gibberim is used. 158 times in the old testament not always for giant it means strong and powerful um and can mean like the strength of god and is used for that And it can also right. mean um you know, refer to angels and, and their their strength and david's mighty men and so it can also refer to to humans so we have to be again as i said earlier to be careful in terms of how we use it but he became a mighty one before God and a mighty hunter. And so something changed and mm-hmm. there's something that's going on there that maybe it's the knowledge that was, uh, he received that was able to help build Babel city and Babel tower and through the polytheist religions that made him become like a giant, certainly had a reign like a giant, but yeah.
0: Well, you want to uh, let people know where they can get hold of you one last time and we'll wrap it there. And you have my email i got yours we'll we'll pick a topic and uh, i'd like to have you come back on and, and blow more people's minds cuz i <laughs> you blow my mind every time i listen to you
1: terrific thank you yeah the best way to get a hold of me is through my website the genesis6conspiracy.com that's genesis6 the number 6 conspiracy.com so if you want to get a hold of me there's a contact the author on there um, and there's also a generous excerpt of all 98 chapters and lots of options to be able to buy a book for me or go to amazon and uh, barnes and noble and or to, to the kindle version and you can also get a hold of me on facebook uh, on my timeline or through messenger it's about the only social media i'm utilizing today until i try trying to figure out where the best place to go is and that still hasn't Sort of come super clear to me yet. So, but I'm hoping to sort that out this year. So, but if you do get a hold of me, it may take me a week or two or so to get back to you, but I will get back to you.
0: That's awesome. Um, I would recommend checking out Telegram. Um, it is kind of like Twitter based with, you know, how you, how you yep. type and read and what have you. But it has a very, I don't know, I think it has more of a worldwide use and and platform that that could really get message out there i've, I've been on it almost since it, it came out in my personal account and i've met a ton of really interesting people from from all around the world and you know that like to talk about stuff like this that i didn't even know existed you know what i mean yeah other than listen to podcasts and be like man i wish i could talk to that this yeah. that that guy had on but you know but yeah it needs
1: to, it needs to be a, a format that um isn't too fascist in its way of controlling free speech i mean some of the things i might get taken down for if i use the word isis as the mother goddess they'll take me down for that and i'm not referring to a terrorist agency or and and this nebulous thing on community standards that they never give you a reason for and there's nothing in there that's hateful or anything like so one place that is not only gives you reasonable freedom of speech, at least, but also has, uh, you know, people using it.
0: Well, I would say that would be telegram for you, because the topics that are discussed in some of the groups that, that I'm in, similar to to what you look into, yep. nobody's ever been flagged, taken down, you know what I mean? So they, they are, they, they pretty much leave you alone, you know what I mean? <laughs> as long as you're not threatening death on somebody, I'm, I'm assuming, but you know, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's topics that, that go real deep other than just talking about ISIS, the God that, you know, and nobody's ever got flags. So I appreciate your time and we'll, we'll wrap it up there and we'll, we'll jump out of here and hopefully have you back on for a part two, three, four, maybe, uh, who knows? I, I <laughs> definitely want to, and I know when your, your, your second book comes out, you're going to be very busy on, on the podcast scene. Um, so i'll 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 keep my fingers crossed and you know hold a spot for me somewhere and you know we we can we can chat about that but on that note thank you for coming on and i appreciate your time
1: well thank you for inviting me so it's been fun and hopefully the audience uh, uh, was entertained and hopefully we raised some
0: curiosity i'm sure we did thank you